Happy Mother's Day to you moms out there, again. All right, well, let's, um, let's pray. Well, Lord, thank you for our time together, and Lord, we pray that you would um, just be an active part of our service this morning. Lord, we, we thank you for the awesome worship. Lord, just uh, be available to just enter into just your presence and praise you and thank you for all that you're, you're doing in our lives and all that you're going to do. You're, we're so thankful, so grateful, Lord. We love you, and we just commit our time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, Mother's Day, I was kind of praying about what, you know, what to share on Mother's Day. Should I focus on mothers? Should I just continue on in Galatians? Or So it's kind of uh, a toss-up between the two. So I ended up in John chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through, I don't know, 1 through, um, maybe 1 through 8. Maybe one through 12, it depends. But speaking of Mother's Day, and these are some interesting things about Mother's Day that I really didn't know. Did you know that Mother's Day is the third most celebrated holiday of the year? Yeah, I didn't know that. Over 100, well, over 145 million cards will be sent out today. 14.6 billion dollars will be spent on gifts and dinner. Well, as gifts as flowers and all kinds of stuff and there'll be more long distance calls today than any other day of the year. So mothers are special, right? Did you um did you also know and I hesitated on sharing this part cuz I hit you with the good news first. But did you also know that there's a push now to cancel Mother's Day? You know, I mean, and nobody is surprised, right? I mean, it's, you know, pretty soon they're going to cancel water, all right? Who knows? But it's, um, it's interesting. The cancellation of Mother's Day draws strong reaction nationally. So, um, you know, uh, Janet Parcell says, this is making the ludicrous all the more bizarre. All right, leading Christian family groups had plenty to say about uh, May 8th in New York Post, the New York Post article that is causing quite a stir across the nation. The headlines scream, school kills Mother's Day, gay parents force principal to ban cards. All right, so enough of the negative news, right? <laughs> one more, one more. New York City Council cancels mothers in favor of birthing people. So, you know, one thing that it's nice when, some, you know, I, you read stuff like this, and it's so comforting to know that, that we serve a God who is all-knowing, that has everything under control, has given us has given us his word, right? So we know the difference be, between a man and a woman and a mother and, you know, a father. And, you know, we cherish those things. God said to honor your mother and your father. You know, so it's a crazy world out there, but Jesus brings perspective. He brings perspective with his word. So let's read, um, let's read John chapter 2, uh, and we'll read the first nine verses and, and see where we get. 
Okay, on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding, and when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 to 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, he did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did at Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. And after this, he went down to Capernaum, he, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, as they did not stay there many days. So in verse 1, the third day um, of the wedding. So that's kind of referencing it took him about you know, two or three days to get from where John the Baptist was baptizing to get to Cana. That's where they were prior to this. And in those days, um, a wedding would last a week, which sounds like a lot of fun, right? Celebrate for the whole week. So, and it was like a, a honeymoon, a family reunion, a bachelor party, a wedding shower, kind of all rolled up into one. Okay, and during... This seven-day celebration, the bride would be tucked away in a secluded part of the house and wouldn't be seen by anyone else but the groom, right? And at the end of the week, she would emerge and there would be this great fanfare and celebration. What I like about that is it's really a beautiful picture of the marriage of the Lamb, right? When the rapture takes place, we, the bride of Christ, will be carried into heaven For seven years, just as the Jewish bride was in seclusion for those seven days, and we'll be tucked away with Jesus, um, totally out of the way um, of the tribulation that will be happening here on the planet. So it's just a beautiful picture of that wedding. So in verse 2, it tells us that Jesus was there with his disciples. And, uh, of course, we know who they were uh, from chapter 1. So he was there with Andrew, Simon Peter, Philip, Nathaniel, and his name isn't mentioned, but probably John, considering he recorded um, the miracle. So in verse 3, we see there's a little bit of a hiccup in the wedding, right, in the the festivities. It says, when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. 
Now, because of this, some would suggest that Mary um, was related probably to um, either the bride or the groom. And there was a responsibility um, if she was filling the, the role of a hostess um, at a Jewish wedding, that she would be responsible for some of these practical things, and one of them being wine. And it would, be, um, it would really be a disgrace to the family if somewhere along the time frame of this week that they ran out of wine. I even read in some cases that they could actually sue, um, either, sue the groom's family for running out of wine. That sounds kind of weird, but, um, you know, I guess it could have happened. So she turns to Jesus for help. Now that makes sense, right? Jesus is her son. You know, she's, she's mom, right? She's looking at him. She knows who he is, right? Obviously that he is um, the Messiah, So, however, based on Jesus' response, I think that Mary um, was interested in a little bit more than just meeting the need for more wine. Could it be, and this is, you know, how my mind works, could, could it be that she was seeking restoration for her reputation? You know, keep in mind, Mary was, you know, she was impregnated by the Holy Spirit when she was a teenager. All of that time, growing up, you know, having, um, you know, having Jesus, um, you know, being um, accused of having this, you know, being pregnant, you know, having, not being married, you know, just the slander, um, the ridicule that she must have went through. And, you know, even in, in John eight forty one, when the Pharisees smugly um, declared to Jesus that he was born out of fornication. So think of what she would have went through. For 30 years, you know, Mary lived with that knowledge that her character had been unjustly maligned. You know, could it be possible at this point that she looked to her son not only for wine but for vindication? to be vindicated, um, thinking that if people could only see who he really was, if he could just, you know, do this miracle, um, just, you know, provide the wine somehow through a miracle, that they would see that all along that she was, that she was right. She is vindicated. Her son is the Messiah. But... Um, that didn't, it didn't happen, and we're going to see as we go through that. And I was thinking about that. Don't we all want to be vindicated when we've been wronged? You know, just, and, and you know, this, you know, this happened to me, a, a, a personal experience, and I'll make it real brief, but I really felt good after, um, after everything was said and done and people realized that I was still okay, all right? Um, I, was, I, was, I was working at the county, and uh, filling in for um, my boss. And anyhow, this, this, this one employee, who wasn't really a model employee, but, um, you know, they, um, management had, would have liked to have gotten rid of him sooner than later. So the opportunity arose where, um, 
they had a chance to get rid of him. So they, um, they came to me and they um, expected or wanted me to um, kind of twist the truth a little bit in his hearing to, to get him fired. And I wouldn't do that. So I was transferred to no man's land. And in that, you know, in those days when I worked for the county, that was a Van Lair treatment plant. So, you know, when you talk about being sent out to nowhere's land. Um, but, you know, so the rumor was, you know, that, you know, that I had, you know, wasn't, wasn't truthful and, you know, that management was mad at me and they sent me out there. So over time, though, the truth came out that the reason why I was transferred is I just wouldn't lie to get this guy fired. But it really felt good after that, you know, that it came out because I wasn't going to, you know, I wasn't going to kind of present my own case. I just went and, you know, went to my new job and that was it. But I felt it felt better to know that people started to, to hear the truth and understand the truth and kind of change their view uh, back to the way it was prior to that. And, you know, as a believer, um, you know, in the workplace, our reputation's important, you know, and to be vindicated like that really, um, really was a blessing for me. So back to this. Jesus says to her in verse 4, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. So June is the Greek word translated woman, and it's a term of respect, but not a really warm term. So Jesus' response to Mary was like a gentle rebuke. And it sounds kind of cold, but, um, you know, it's really not. It's just the way things were back in that, in that culture. And, you know, he, um, she understood where he was coming from. You know, and at the, at the, you know, at the end when it's all said and done, um, what Jesus told her was for her own good and for his Father's glory. So at the end of the verse, Jesus tells her that his hour has not come. Okay, and this is important. You know, so what hour is he talking about? In John 17, in verse 1, Jesus, it says this, he prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. So the hour he's talking about um, is the hour that Jesus crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. That hour he was talking about is the time of the irrefutable declaration of who he was, of the undeniable proof of his deity. That hour is when his earthly ministry was, would be finished, his appointed mission complete, his father being fully glorified. So basically, Jesus is explaining to his mom Mom, I know, I know better than anyone um, how you've been waiting patiently to be vindicated. I know that. I know better than anyone how you've been hurt. I understand your situation, but it's not time to rectify that yet. I mean, it's not time, not now. So the application for us is, what does this say to us? Oftentimes, we ask the Lord to do something for us, uh, maybe to, to kind of get us off the hook for something. 
um, or to make us look a little better in a certain situation. We ask them to do something that will smooth out our road, uh, make life a little easier, lighten the load. But like Mary's request, our request might sound very noble and very compassionate, but in reality, um, it's really selfish and self-centered. And it's in times like that that Jesus might whisper in our hearts as he did to Mary, this is not the hour. This is not the time. This is not the place. The problem will be resolved, but not now. Ever been there? We've just been praying and praying and praying, and, you know, you just hear that voice, not now, not yet. And, you know, we... (laughs) You know, he's telling Mary, too, and, and I know she understands this, that, Mary, your reputation will be restored. It's going to happen, but it's not going to happen just yet. My hour has not yet come. And there's a lot for us to learn from that. There's a lot for us to learn from that. Now, obvious, the, the obvious question as I'm reading this and kind of working through this, what do you do as you wait for that hour? that time to come when God is going to do what he said he was going to do. And it's interesting because if you study the life of Daniel, we know that Daniel was very prominent, right? He was key in the first four, four chapters of Daniel uh, with Nebuchadnezzar. Then there comes a time when there's a, a change in leadership in the nation, when Daniel was in his 50s, that he kind of drops out of the narrative for a while. Almost 20 years. Drops out of the narrative for 20 years. And it's not until um, Belshazzar needs somebody to interpret the handwriting on the wall. And, of course, the queen mentions that, well, there's Daniel. So Daniel comes back on the scene and, of course, he interprets the handwriting on the wall. Um, Darius uh, the Mede seizes control shortly after that. And Daniel is restored to a position of responsibility. So what was Daniel doing all that time? You know, and it's, um, it's an example for us. Daniel... Um, didn't just fall off the face of the earth. He just continued to do what he was always doing, seeking the Lord, loving God, praying, um, you know, just involved with ministry just behind the scenes. You know, and that's what we need to do. We need to be like Daniel. You know, we're, we're seeking and waiting on the Lord, and he's telling us it's not time yet. Just hold on. It's not time yet. So that doesn't mean that um, it doesn't mean that we just give up. You know, God is done with us, or God's not going to use us, right? We don't get to the point where we say, "Well, you know what? You know, God's not going to use me anyhow. I think I'm going to just play golf on Sunday mornings, and I'm go find something else to do." Not that there's anything wrong with playing golf, but you can do it after church, right? So, saints, 
Our responsibility as believers is to be ready to walk with the Lord, to spend time in the presence of the Lord, and to learn about the Lord, studying the word of God, so that one like Belshazzar said, what does this handwriting mean? Like Daniel, we can say, I can tell you, because for 20 years, I've been in touch with God. For 20 years, I've been in this place of prayer in the word. For 20 years, I've been getting closer and closer to God. And you know what? God wants to use you, but he's going to use you when he wants to use you and how he wants to use you. We just have to be available. And while we're waiting for God to, um, to call us, to point us in a certain direction, you know, we need to be ready. We need to be in the word. We need to be praying. We need to be seeking God. And you know, the thing is, because if we're not, if we're not, what's going to happen is the opportunity is going to arise and we're not going to be prepared. And we're not going to have the time to prepare and we're going to miss out on what God might have for us. Now, what, you know, you probably, okay, what does that look like? You know, what does missing out look like and how does it happen? Well, this is the way I think. <laughs> Jesus is coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration, and he's, you know, he's got Peter, James, and John with him. A father meets him as Jesus is on his way down, and he, he has this epileptic son that the disciples had prayed for, but um, nothing happened. They couldn't deliver the boy. So Jesus prays for him. He gets delivered. They come down the hill. Um, the, other, the disciples that were down there, the other nine, see what happened, and they kind of get Jesus off to the side. And verse 19 of Matthew 17, the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why couldn't we cast out this demon? So Jesus' response was, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So the disciples must have thought, if it takes prayer and fasting to cast out a demon of that kind, how would we even know when or where we might have to encounter, we might have an encounter like that? In other words, how, you know, Jesus, how are we supposed to know? And in Jesus' response in verse um, 21, talking about prayer and fasting, that's the implication that Jesus is making. Because they couldn't know when opportunities to minister would come their way, they should have been living a life of prayer and fasting. They should have been doing what it took to get ready. Right? So what happens? You know, they're not ready. The opportunity comes up, and it passes them by. So why weren't the disciples praying? Okay, could it be? Okay, this is speculation. Could it be because Jesus was on the mountain with Peter, James, and John? And could it be that the other nine disciples down below were saying, it's always Peter, James, and John. You know, they're always with him. You know, where, where, where are we? Oh, here we are down at the bottom of the mountain waiting again for them to come down. Right? And their mindset 
they're not focusing on the things of the Lord. They're not uh, praying for those guys up there. So here comes, you know, this, this dad with his son who's, you know, possessed with this demon. And, um, you know, they're not prepared. They're not ready. Instead, what are they doing? They're complaining, you know, pointing fingers. And it's easy to get caught up in that. And we need to really be um, on guard. We really need to guard our hearts with that. You know, it doesn't, you know, for, for me, it wouldn't make a difference if the only thing that the Lord wanted me to do for my life was come into church and sweep the floor, empty the garbage, or, you know, if he wanted me to, whatever God wants us to do, whatever he's called us to do, I mean, that's, that should be enough, whatever it is. Because it isn't so much what we're doing, it's who's doing the asking, Who's asking you? Who's, who's requesting? Who say, hey, can you do this? Can you do that? Can you, are you, but, you know, and are you ready? Are you, are, are you in a place where you can receive from the Lord? Now, it, it happens with us, right? The Lord never uses me. Have you ever said that? I've been going to church all this time. The Lord, he, he never uses me, doesn't, I don't, you know, I don't have the opportunity. But, you know, while you're thinking that way, the opportunity um, might show up and you might miss it. Our responsibility in ministry is to be ready and then to wait. Be ready and then to wait. Study the word, pray, worship the Lord in your private devotional time. Be ready, be ready. Then you can say, Lord, when that hour comes, when you want to use me to do something, whatever it is for your glory, I'm ready. Are you ready? Are you ready today if God tapped you on the shoulder and asked you to do something? Are you ready? Are you ready to respond? Saints, radical transformation will happen in our walk with the Lord when we realize he's the master and we're not. And that we need to be ready. Our responsibility is not to direct God or even make suggestions to him. Our responsibility is to be ready for him and rest in him. So Mary, I think she gets, she gets the point. Okay, Mary gets the point. Because look what she says in verse 5. And his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to do, whatever he says to you, do it. So there's still a problem. There's still no wine. She still needs help. Um, her vindication is on hold. It's coming, but not today. So she doesn't just give up. She doesn't just walk away and say, well, I guess we're out of wine. No. She knows, she trusts Jesus that he's going to do something. She doesn't know what it is. She has no idea what it is. How, or how, I should say, how he's going to um, settle, you know, correct the situation with no more wine. You know, so it doesn't make um, any difference to her at this point how it's going to happen, but she knows it's going to happen. And boy, that's, what a place to live. 
when you, you think you have things going on in life, and we all do, right? Kids, moms, dad, you know, I mean life. It's, you know, there's so many different scenarios. But it's, it's so awesome to be able to kind of take a step back and realize that he's in control and that somehow, some way, he is going to work out the situations in our life. He's going to orchestrate the solution. We just need to get to that place where we just trust him. I was listening to this song by Jeremy Camp the other day, Out of My Hands and Into His. And the whole, the whole song is about realizing that everything that in his life um, needs to be taken out of his hands and put into God's. You know, and that's where there's freedom. That's where there's relief. There's, that's where there's joy. When we, when we realize that when we hand things over to him, we're, we're already headed in the right direction. So the problem hadn't gone away, but Mary trusted Jesus. She knew that whatever he did would be the right thing. You know, don't we pray that way? Don't we pray, God, we, you know, certainly don't know how this is going to unfold, but we want your will to be done. We want your will to be done in this situation because we know that there's no better place to be than in God's will. There's no better solution for things going on in our lives, situations, that, that God's will be done. We're the ones that have to come to terms with that. And it seemed like Mary did because, I mean, she was pretty emphatic. Mary said to the servants, Whatever he says to do, do it. And one other thing, and um, I wasn't, I wasn't going to share this, but I'm going to share it. And I mean it in love. Okay, I mean I came out of um, the Catholic Church, so um, you know, I just. Uh, saying this in a loving way, just food for thought for someone who might still think this way. That it's, Mary um, doesn't really have any special influence with Jesus. And this, this little verse, just one verse kind of points that out. It says, Mary said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. He's, she's, pointing, she's pointing them to Jesus. She's not mediating um, for Jesus. She's not uh, the, the liaison for him. You know, there's, we don't need to go to Mary to get to Jesus. Okay? And, hey, if, I mean, I came out of that, that kind of thought, and if anybody still thinks that way, you know, it's really, this verse kind of points out that that's not true. And even in, if you, I mean, this is a different reference that would kind of bear that point out. In Acts chapter 1, when Mary's in the upper room with um, the other disciples and they're praying, she's not leading the meeting. She's not in a place of honor or prominence, 
right? She's just one of the 120. And sure, she was, of course, blessed. I mean, to be the mother of Jesus, to bring the Messiah into the world. But um, we're all in um, equal standing when it comes to our relationship with the Lord. There's one mediator between God and man, and it's the man Jesus Christ. All right, so let's move on. Verses 6 through 8. It says, Now when there were, there were, there were six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. They filled them up to the brim. And then he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. Hmm. Application. For those who seek to serve Jesus to a greater degree, so that would indicate that you're all serving Jesus to some degree, but you want to serve him to a greater degree, right? We want to serve him um, more and more. There's three important characteristics of the servant that we should be aware of. The first one is obedience. Okay, the servants didn't argue with Jesus or ask questions of him. They simply did what he asked them to do. And think about that. I mean, when the Lord has asked us to do certain things and that we thought had been pretty challenging and, you know, kind of apprehensive at first, but here you are, Jesus tells you, okay, Aiden, I want you to fill those, those water pots up with water, okay, and then I want you to take some out, and I want you to bring it to the head of the feast. He's expecting wine, just give it to him. You know, think of what, you know, we just poured water into that, and now he wants us to draw it out and bring it to, you know, to the head, you know, to the, the head of the feast, and he's expecting wine. I mean, there had to be some, you know, I can't, I was, I've been, I was, I've been trying to figure it out all week. But you know what? It's just simple faith. You know, you know, sometimes we don't need to think about it. If we know that God said it, and that's what he expects, or that's what he wants, then we just need to do it. And that's what these guys did. They just, okay. You know, so there's a lot there. And you could, I mean, if you get some, you know, like maybe tonight when you're trying to go to sleep, if you can't sleep instead of counting sheep, try to put yourself in that position and see what it would be like to just be in these, in these servants' shoes. So the second thing is um, they, they had a vigor or, you know, like an exuberance about them. You know, they not only filled the pots, they filled them to the brim. There was an excitement. You know, and there should be an excitement, and, um, and like this vigor when we serve the Lord. Um, you know, they were knocking some walls down the other day, serving the Lord, and man, they were just enjoying it, you know, and they were doing it with some vigor. They were, I mean, they were really getting into it. But when we serve the Lord, it, there should be an excitement. There should be a joy. You know, and these servants just got right into it. Yeah, just fill it up. Fill it up as much as we can. Because we don't know what's going to happen, but just, you know, keep filling it up. Just have that, put your whole heart and effort into it. And then the third thing was patience. 
Jesus, Jesus didn't, you know, Jesus didn't give them, like, he didn't call a huddle and say, okay, this is what's going to happen. We're going to do this, then this is going to happen, and then we're going to do this, and then this is going to happen, and then this. No, they needed, they needed to be patient. They needed to have faith because Jesus told the servants what to do one step at a time. One step at a time. First, they were to fill the water pots. After they did that, he instructed them to draw water out and take it to the governor of the feast. And the miracle occurred only as they faithfully followed each step. Here's another thing to think about if you can't sleep tonight. Did the water turn into wine when it was still in those big pots? Did it turn into wine when they scooped it out and poured it in the cup? You know, you guys think about stuff like that? You know, or did it turn into wine right when they were getting ready to sip it? Oh, is it going to be good? No. But, you know, so it's, anyhow, I mean, that stuff's really not important. What's important is that they followed each step. You know, they trusted him. So too often we want to know what, you know, we want to know what steps two through four are going to be like before we take step one. You know, and it's probably not any of you guys, but I've done that. You know, like, Lord, could you just give me a little insight? I know you want me to do this, but, you know, what's going to happen? And, you know, what am I supposed to do after, you know, if this happens the way I think it might? You know, we have to kind of get ourselves out of the, the thought process. And then just once we realize that the Lord is, is speaking to our hearts, we really need to just take that step of faith. So our thought is... Lord, I know where this is going to go. I need to know where it's got to go, so let me know. You know, let me know what's going to happen next week or next month. Lay it out. You know, we want it, we want it all laid out for us. And, um, you know, the Lord doesn't work that way. He doesn't work that way. And, you know, when, we, um, when, when we're stubborn and we're waiting for um, a little bit more direction or a little bit we want God to reveal a little bit more and he's just saying well just take this first step don't worry more is coming just take this first step so um, we got to get to that place we're called to walk by faith and not by sight you know if God said it that settles it you know there's so many um, little phrases that we've grown up with in the church that are just so true and we just need, we just need to um, yield to those things. So let's do verses um, 9 and 10, and then we'll, um, we'll call it a morning. So it says in verse 9, When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. And it's interesting, the servants always seem to have the inside, um, inside scoop on, you know, what God is doing, you know, because, um, you know, they knew. They were, part of the, they were part of the preparation for it all. They were all a part of the plan. Um, it says, Then the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. So we, I think this, this probably is one of the most well-known parts of the Bible, even for people that 
um, aren't saved, that Jesus turned water um, into wine. But, you know, the servants, right, the servants witnessed the miracle. And if you're, if you're looking for a, a motivation to be a servant or if you're looking for a reason um, to want to serve, this could, I mean, it isn't a, like a, a well-known reason or a, you know, something maybe that you didn't think of, but in your serving, you get to see the miracles. You're, you know, you're, you're a part of the process. You're a part of the process. And I really believe that that's God's heart for us. God wants us to be part of the process. He wants us to see his hand in everything that we're doing. You know, every part of our life. I mean, he, um, he, there's a phrase in a song that not for a moment has he ever been not a part of our life or of our day. And when we're serving the Lord, we, we sense that. We get to see that. And it's just, um, it's, it's reassuring. It's, um, it's awesome to, to know that, to know that, that God is present with us. Not just once in a while, not just when we're here, but all the time. And as we're serving him, we sense that, we know that. And, you know, it's interesting the way that this miracle happened. And, you know, Jesus, John's going to record eight miracles that are going to point um, to Jesus' deity. But, you know, this was like low-key. You know, and there's a lot of things that the Lord does that are just low-key. There's not oohs or ahs. You know, if, if I came out there and asked you guys, what's God been doing in your life? You know, what, 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 what prayers has God been answering? You know, things that are just under the radar, every, you know, everyday little things. Um, you know, <laughs> no traffic today, right? You get in your car, you pray, Lord, you know, lighten up the traffic. You know, we think stuff like that is just insignificant. But as you're driving, all of a sudden you realize, oh, wow, there's not a lot of traffic today. You know, hello. You know, we were out to eat the other day, and we asked the waitress if we could pray for her because, you know, we're going to pray for our food. Could we pray for you? We kind of give them that option. And she said, well, pray that, um, that it's a busy day here at the restaurant and time goes by quick, right? So I thought to myself, well, you know, it's really not a real heavy-duty kind of prayer request. But we just prayed, you know what, Lord, at the end of the day, you know, we just prayed that as she's kind of going through her day, that her day, is, this prayer is going to be answered and she's going to realize that the day went by so quick that it just flew by and then she's going to remember that we asked her if we could pray for her. You know, a lot of this stuff, under the radar, but just serving the Lord, just sensing his presence, so important. You know, we don't need the oohs and the ahs. You know, we just want to serve the Lord and we just want to sense that um, he's with us. You know, there, there was nobody rushing to Jesus' side. There was no crowd. No, Jesus, um, he just did what he had to do for his mom. And, um, you know, just totally under the radar. The only wide eyes in the place were on the faces of the servants who were probably 
trying to, you know, make sense of what happened. But, um, you know, there they were with Jesus serving him. So on a, just a regular, ordinary day in Cana, Jesus chose to honor his mom and to reveal himself to some humble, obedient servants. So do you want Jesus to reveal himself to you, to know his will? And I'm sure that we all do, right? We all, we, sure, who doesn't want to know what God's will is or what God would have us do? Now, what we leave here, just, Lord, you know, we want you to be a part of all that we're doing. So learn from Mary and these faithful servants who surrendered their will to what Jesus said. You know, and the reality is they surrendered their will to the word and will of God. We need to do likewise. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And Lord, thank you for, Lord, just the, the love that you have for us, Lord. We thank you that you have, Lord, preserved your word for these thousands of years, Lord, that, um, that we don't have to guess what you're like. We don't have to um, surmise different things that, Lord, that we can know without a shadow of a doubt what your character is like, that we can know, um, Lord, what your heart is for us as your children. And Lord, I pray that as, as we press into our relationship with you, that Father, that you would use us more and more. Uh, Lord, we, um, we know, God, you've, you've called us to be a light, to be a witness, to be a voice for you. And I pray, Lord, that, um, that we would be faithful to that. And God, I pray that you would um, just give the church, um, Lord, more courage, Lord, more um, of an enthusiasm, Lord, to, um, to be a voice for you. Um, Lord, in the world today. Uh, Lord, I, I just sense in my heart, Lord, that, um, you know, Christianity is, is a call to, um, to action, Lord, for the gospel. And um, I just pray, God, that we would be faithful to whatever you put on our hearts, Lord. So we thank you for the rest of our day. We thank you, Lord, for um, traveling mercies to wherever we're headed and that, Lord, that we would be mindful of your presence in our day today, in our lives, not only today, but until um, you come and take us home, Lord. We, uh, we love you. We thank you for who you are and for your continued working in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.